podcast contains mature content listener discretion is advised welcome back to another episode drop on the jury room podcast today i'm bringing you two favorite people of mine you have been and karen the hosts of crime and compulsion another true crime podcast where they take a little bit of a comedic twist to it but while delivering some of the you know the facts and telling a story and definitely a great podcast. I'm a huge fan of theirs. Uh, Ben and Karen, if you listen to this, thank you for the content that you put out. And I hope all of my listeners enjoy their show. I just want to say here we are nearing the end of June. Don't forget to still go over to Cussing Candles and place your order. There will be a giveaway at the end of this month. Don't forget to also send me an email for your chance at $25. Four lucky people will win. Send me an email. Say hi. Let me know you're listening. Don't forget, you can always go subscribe and review the podcast that you're about to listen to, as well as the Jury Room podcast. Leave a review. Let me know how I'm doing. If I'm doing a terrible job, let me know. If I'm doing a good job, let me know. I want to hear it all. But without you guys, I wouldn't be nothing, and so I appreciate every single one of you. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, for everything. If you still want your stickers, there'll be a link below. And as always, stay safe, and thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to the jury room, where we dissect some of the most heinous, some of the most unthinkable, and some of the most monstrous crimes to ever scar the earth. From cannibalistic serial killers to decades-old unsolved mysteries, these stories are sinister enough to keep you up at night. Police departments around the country are notorious for turning a blind eye towards officers who have committed serious offenses. I'm Katherine Sheffield, the host of A Few Bad Apples, a weekly podcast that takes listeners into deep dives of crimes committed by bad apple officers. Not all policemen are bad, and in fact, I highlight a positive story at the end of every episode. Sharing these victim stories is my way to provoke change within police departments. A Few Bad Apples is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Ben. And I'm Karen. That was our good friend Catherine from A Few Bad Apples who inspired us to do our own case about a bad apple. So if you'd like to hear more bad apple cases after this one, make sure you check her out. Stay tuned. I guess, like we said in the beginning, we are here to talk about our own bad apple this week. We are. Yeah, I mean, we're on our hiatus from the longest mini episode ever, so we had to follow it up with a good one. Yeah, this case is bonkers, in my opinion. Bonkers? Bonkers. People still say bonkers? I do. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, but you say a lot of lame stuff. Bonkers. Jesus. What's your point? This is bonkers. <laughs> so what do you have for us? What is bonkers about this one? I mean, everything about this one. It's is... bananas. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> you already subjected us to that. Don't do it again. Sorry. I'll try to be less bonkers this time. Please. What do you have for us, Biggs? I'm just going to dive right in. Let's go. In 1986, a San Diego woman was found murdered near Mercy Road Bridge on Interstate 15. A local news station filmed a ride-along with California Highway Patrol officer Craig Allen Pyre. He gave tips on how to stay safe if stranded on the road. He was later found to be the woman's killer. What? Yeah, like I said, fucking bonkers. wonder how bad that like camera crew felt and the producer felt for choosing that guy. Like what? Like a fucking coincidence though, you know, like out of everyone that they could have sent, that's the guy that they picked. Right. <laughs> it turns out to be a damn killer. Jesus. Yeah. So this is the story of Kara Knott's murder. Take us to the beginning. Kara Knott was born on February 11th, 1966 in Ventura, California, to parents Sam and Joyce Knott. She was the third of four siblings. She was a bouncing baby girl and was always happy. Later, she became a track star and honor student at her high school. At the time of her disappearance and murder, Kara Evelyn Knott, 20 years old, was a student at San Diego State University. She had hopes of becoming a teacher. Everyone that knew her described her as a beautiful, bubbly, and vivacious girl. She looked like what you imagine as your stereotypical California girl. Long blonde hair, sun-kissed skin, and a megawatt smile. She was like that Katy Perry song. Which song? Sing it for us. No. How does it go? No. What's I, the words? I'm not a singer. <laughs> no. <laughs> Doesn't stop me. <laughs> Stops me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, I guess, sad that all of these stories always start out the same way. You know, how the victims were. Awesome just people. these nice people. Yeah. Down to earth, like, treated everybody fantastic. And they met the, like, most unfortunate end you can have. Yeah, I mean, this girl had her entire life ahead of her. It's just sad. At about 9.45 p.m. on December 27, 1986, Kara Nod called her parents and said she was heading home from her boyfriend's. This is about a 45-minute drive. A bit over an hour passed, and Kara still hadn't made it home. Another 30 minutes passed, and no sight of Kara. Unfortunately, spoiler alert, Kara never returned home after visiting her boyfriend. Gotta be the worst feeling, too, as a parent, knowing exactly how long they should be home, and watching every, you know, 15-minute pass, and just getting more and more worried. My kids are never driving. Well, they're gonna be driving sometime. Unless you wanna be a chauffeur. I mean, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> Quit your job. Just drive around. 
<laughs> Robin Miss Daisy. <laughs> Kara was really responsible for a college girl her age. So not coming home was out of character for her. As you can imagine, her parents were immediately worried and thought that something was wrong. Kara's parents called her boyfriend, Wayne Batista, who told him that he had gone straight to bed after Kara had left because he was sick with the flu and just felt god-awful. He answered the phone right away. According to Wayne, he had gone to sleep with his phone right next to him on the pillow because Kara was supposed to call him when she made it home, and he wanted to make sure he didn't miss her call. That's a good boyfriend. Right? He sounds like such a sweet dude. Uh, So Wayne told Joyce that Kara had probably run out of gas on the way home because he knew for a fact that she had been running low. Kara had told Wayne that she needed to stop by a gas station, which this is going to come into play a little bit later on. Okay. Like a good boyfriend, Wayne got into his car and started to make the drive towards Kara's home, hoping to pass her on the way. Kara's family immediately called the police to report Kara missing. To their surprise, the operator who answered the call was just a total piece of shit. How so? He told them, if I had a nickel for every time someone called like this, I could retire. You serious? I am serious. I'm hoping that guy got fired. Or girl. And that wasn't all he said. He also advised them to call the local jails to see if she'd been arrested. What? Wow. I mean, I'm not saying anything against 911 operators or dispatch because I couldn't hear the things that they hear and I couldn't do that job. But like just this one in specific is a total piece of shit. Yeah, like that's not a job that you take if you don't have compassion for people. Exactly. Samuel not Kara's father immediately rushed out of their house and began to make the drive from their house in El Cajon to Escondido, California, which is where Kara's boyfriend lived. As he drove, he searched for Kara's white Volkswagen Beetle. It was the first flush of the morning on December 28th when Sam spotted Kara's vehicle off I-15 on the old Highway 395 bridge near the exit for Mercy Road. I've also read that it was Kara's brother-in-law who found her vehicle, but I've seen more places stating that it was her father, so I'm just going to go with that. Right. It's not a huge major detail that changes anything. You know, I just like to point out anytime I see conflicting things. Yes. We know you did your research. The driver's window was down, and there was no sight of Kara. Sam immediately called the police again. Unfortunately, what they would find was absolutely chilling. 65 feet below the bridge, in a dry creek bed, Kara's body was found. Oh, God. According to the autopsy report, she had been strangled with a rope, and it appeared as though she had been thrown from the pavement above. She had also been hit in the head with a blunt object, possibly a flashlight. She was not sexually assaulted, though. The autopsy couldn't establish a clear time of death. A liver temp test was done, and essentially, 
They said that she died at some point after 1 p.m. the day of the murder. Which doesn't really narrow anything down for us at all. 1 p.m. or 1 a.m.? 1 p.m. So the afternoon of her murder. So way hours before. Okay. And we know that, you know, she was still alive later that night because her boyfriend saw her. Okay. So, yeah. So they don't, they have no clue. Yeah. So they just said, you know, she died yesterday. Right. Now, Kara was the type of girl that had no enemies. Everyone that knew her immediately loved her. And I know that's something you always hear. Everyone's like, oh, she was the nicest person and I loved her. And then it turns out to be like complete bullshit. Right. But no, like that was literally the case with Kara. She was a total sweetheart. Of course, her boyfriend was one of the first people investigated for her murder. But the police cleared him almost right away. I mean, not only is it her boyfriend, but that was also, you know, the last person that saw her alive, as far as they knew. Yeah, so obviously he would be... He would be my first suspect. Well, and then the husband and the boyfriend always do it. Right. Well, I mean, they don't always do it, but I always say that. 99%. Actually, I don't know, it's like, what, 75? I mean, I don't know a percentage, so I'm not going to throw some out. (laughs) I don't know. Estimate, 80% final answer. I don't know. I mean, we'll go with that. (laughs) Uh, The police had a couple of leads that they were investigating, but they didn't have a possible suspect. Kara's parents put out a $10,000 reward for any information leading to the arrest of her killer. Later, an anonymous donor came forward and gave an additional $10,000. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, it doubled. That's crazy to me. It appeared as though whomever murdered Kara had not specifically sought her out. It was more so a crime of opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Two days after Kara's murder, local California news station, KCST-TV, ran a story covering the homicide. This story included a ride-along with none other than 38-year-old California Highway Patrol officer Craig Allen Pyre. Fuck that guy. Right. What do you say? All the middle fingers to him? Yeah. All the middle fingers to (laughs) him. I had to steal your your saying there. Sorry. You're always stealing my sayings. What other saying have I stolen? Cunt cake. I didn't steal that. Let's go back to our very first episode. I said it once. It's not (laughs) stealing it. I just have. You didn't invent cunt cake. (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to move along now. I actually, we have some audio from Craig Allen Pyre and this ride-along. So check that out. Now, once you get into a, a car with somebody, uh, you're at their mercy. Just stay in the vehicle, lock all the doors, uh, turn on the emergency flashers, um, and wait for uh, help to come. Even if you have to wait all night, it's better to be in the safety of your vehicle and spend the night than to uh, try to walk and get assistance. Anything could happen. Uh, being a female, you could be raped, robbed if you're a male, um, all the way to where you could be uh, killed. Uh, once you get in that other person's car, you're at their mercy. He completely sounds like he's done this before. I mean, this motherfucker was on the news giving women tips on how to stay safe if they were stranded on the highway. Yeah, he knows personal tips because he fucking does it himself. And not only that, but you can still find that news segment 
And this dude has visible scratches on his face. What? Are you serious? Yes. From Kara defending herself. I wonder how fucking embarrassed that news channel is. That's crazy. I mean, it's not the news channel's fault. It's not, but I mean, pick just him. understand, like, how embarrassing that has, or I, I don't know if embarrassing is the right word, but just how, you know, crazy coincidence that has to be for them. I think it's a mortifying coincidence, mortifying if I have to call it something. Actually, a really good term. I'm going to steal that one, too. Put that on a shirt. Mortifying coincidence. That would be a good band name. <laughs> <laughs> You should start a band. <laughs> you don't want me in a band. Yeah, I'll be the singer. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. Mortifying. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Back uh, to Karen talking about this now. Don't quit your day job. It didn't take long at all before dozens of young women called the police department about Pyre. This is where it starts getting really interesting, right? All these women looked a hell of a lot like Karenot. So he has a type. They were all blonde, young, and pretty. And their stories were all super fucking similar. See, I told you, he's definitely done this many times before. Nah. You don't just go straight to killing. I mean, don't get ahead of yourself. Mm, I'm good at that. I mean, you're on the right track, but just hold your horses a little bit. Damn it. I already let my horses go. Well, I mean, you better go catch them. (laughs) (laughs) It's not my refrigerator, Karen. (laughs) Uh, You just aged yourself a lot with that. A refrigerator joke? Yeah. Yeah. Our kid likes to call me a boomer, so I'm not a boomer. (laughs) He does say that a lot, though. I'm a millennial. I don't know if I'm proud of that. Anyway. I digress. Let's go. They all said that Pyre pulled him over in the same general area in which Kara's body had been found. He wasn't necessarily violent towards any of them, but that doesn't change the fact that he was definitely a fucking creep to all of them. Super inappropriate. Yeah, he detained all of them for an excessively long time. He asked incredibly personal questions He would stroke their hair, he massaged their shoulders, and he even asked some of the women out on dates. (laughs) Wow. I have no response to that. I don't know what to say to that. That's pervy, I guess. That's incredibly pervy. You know who that makes me think of? Who? That old cop town that we... Boy. The what? (laughs) The old cop town? (laughs) The old town cop that we used to have. Oh, yeah. Fuck that guy, too. Because he's, like, married or dating, like, a girl that's, like, 20 years younger than him or some shit, and he's, like, super creepy. That's what it makes me think of. Yeah. Old town cop, cop town. <laughs> <laughs> Old town road. <laughs> Words are hard, okay? Words are incredibly hard. Good thing we don't have to, like, speak them on a daily basis. Right. Just mumbling. Ugh. <laughs> and, uh. <laughs> okay, so just as a quick side note, ladies... If you're traveling alone, shit, even if you're not alone, if you're just traveling and a police officer tries to pull you over and you're in bumfuck in Egypt, do not pull over. Call the non-emergency number and let them know that there's an officer behind you. Let them know your location. 
the model of your vehicle, tell them that you're going to continue driving, and then when you reach a well-lit populated area, pull over, because fuck that. Yeah, just don't speed or break any laws while you're doing that. But you're well within your legal right uh, to wait. Yeah, I believe that that is actually a result of this case. That's why police now allow for that to happen. Supposed to. Yeah, I. but that's, I believe, a direct result of this. Good. Coincidentally, a month before Kara's murder, the mother of another young girl had called the police department to make a complaint against Pyre. According to the mother, Pyre had pulled over her daughter, for no reason whatsoever, at the Mercy Road exit off of Interstate 15, and again, even though he wasn't violent towards her, he definitely acted like a fucking weird-ass sex maggot towards her. Really? A weird-ass sex maggot? Yes. How long did you uh, have to think for that one? Like five minutes. <laughs> so all of these are happening in the exact same spot the Kara was murdered, correct? Yes. So he definitely has a location in which he feels safe to do this. Well, what I was going to think, what I was going to ask. What you were going to think? What I was going to think. I'm not sure if I was going to think it or <laughs> not, but I was planning on thinking it. But while I'm planning on that, what I was going to ask is, do you think that he already had you know, a place in mind that he was like, I'm definitely going to use this to kill someone. And all of these stops with these women are just trying to see if this was the right opportunity or the right victim. I don't think that he set out to kill anyone. Okay. I think he's a piece of shit. I also think that this location made him feel secure for being a creepy piece of shit asshole because it was secluded but I don't think that this was like a predetermined kill spot or anything like that. Okay. At this point, Pyre is starting to feel a little bit of heat. The authorities are now starting to look at him, not just as this 13-year-old police veteran, but instead as a potential predator. Pyre's ex-wife, and I'm not sure if this was ex-wife number one or ex-wife number two, but she came forward and said that Pyre changed when he became an officer and that he certainly used his badge to flirt with women. His MO was literally pulling over young women, using the ruse that he was going to write them a ticket, and then he would proceed to ask highly personal questions and getting uncomfortably touchy-feely with them. All these witnesses began to come forward. A Chevron gas station clerk was the last person to see Kara alive. She had stopped to get gas, just as she told her boyfriend. He remembered seeing a California Highway Patrol car making a U-turn immediately after Kara pulled out of the gas station. Wow. Coincidentally, this gas station was a mere two miles from where Kara's body was found. Yet another witness saw a patrol car right behind a white Volkswagen Beetle around the same time that Kara was murdered, or what we believe the time that she was murdered. Right, we don't know. And it just happened to be in that same area along the Mercy Road exit. The best witness, probably, was another California Highway Patrol officer. He was off-duty at the time, and he claims to have seen Pyre driving into the CHP parking lot, and he looked quite unkempt, and he was covered in visible bloody scratches. That's not alarming or surprising at all? No, like that's just a normal Tuesday night. 
Right. Apparently, Pyre is just a clumsy-ass motherfucker because he told this guy and also later claimed that the scratches came from falling over a chain-link fence in the parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't come up with a better lie than that. No, like, he's just not a fucking good liar. Chain-link fence, wow. I mean, and also I imagine that the fence would be too tall for you to trip over it. How do you trip over four or five foot fence? I don't know. Are you a kid trying to hop over (laughs) and got stuck in the middle? (laughs) I mean, that was his excuse. I'm not saying it was a good one. On the contrary, it was a terrible excuse, but... Sounds like you trying to lie. (laughs) It really does. That that is some shit I would say. You're going to come home. Yeah, tripped over a fence. (laughs) Oh... And if Pyre's little story wasn't unraveling quickly enough, several people came forward and disputed tickets given by Pyre. And, I mean, in my opinion, this points to Pyre attempting to falsify his logbook to establish an alibi. For example, there was a ticket written to a teenage boy that night. He was coming home from watching a movie. He was pulled over a little after 10 p.m. on Highway 163. Pyre pulled him over and gave him a warning for a broken taillight. Later, this boy realized that on his ticket, Pyre had crossed out the time from 10.20 and changed it to 9.20. Also, a female California Highway Patrol officer came forward and stated that Pyre had taken her to the location where Kara Knott was found, and Pyre told her, if you want to dump a body, this would be the place to do it. Really? You're going to tell another police officer that? Jesus. But not to worry. It isn't all hearsay. Because physical evidence soon tied Pyre to Karanant. The gold fibers were found on the clothing Kara was wearing on the night of her murder. And those gold fibers just so happened to match the gold fibers on the shoulder patch of Pyre's highway patrol uniform. Purple fibers were also found on Pyre's uniform, specifically his gun and his boots. And those fibers matched the purple sweatpants that Kara had been wearing. You know, it was good that they found the purple fibers, though, because the gold fibers that they found on Kara's body would have matched any Highway Patrol officer uniform. That wouldn't necessarily directly tie to Pyre, but the fact that they found the purple fibers on his uniform does tie him directly to that. I thought, and obviously I'm not an expert, but I thought that with fibers they could give you as much detail as to like specifically where they came from. Yeah, and they can, but think about it. The California police officers all wear the exact same uniform, so they're going to have the exact same fibers. But that specific fiber wouldn't be missing from every single patch is what I'm saying. Like, I thought I got that specific. You won't be able to see a missing fiber on a patch. They just say that this fiber matches the type of fiber that's on this uniform. So all that proves is that a California police officer is the one that murdered her. It doesn't say which one because all the fibers on all, you know, California Highway Patrol officers or whatever from that exact same unit have the exact same fibers. Oh, I understood that much differently this entire time. 
Yeah, like you can't I just thought, say like, oh, this one's missing a fiber link. I mean, I thought that it got like incredibly specific. All right, listen. So this fiber business is getting really complicated. Fiber business. Yes. So they also found blood, which was not her own. And it was on the boots that she had been wearing on the night of her murder. Somebody had some scratches on his face, too. Yeah, but that was because he tripped over the chain link fence. <laughs> right. That's all. The blood was type AB negative. What's Pyre's blood type, you ask? AB negative. Exactly. Mm, how did I know that? Must be a magician. A magician? Yeah. They know stuff. <laughs> they know everything. <laughs> you mean psychic? No, I'm a magician. I'm a magician. <laughs> Okay, just as a quick little side note, AB negative is the rarest of the eight main blood types. Really? I always thought that it was O negative. Because that's like a universal donor, right? Yeah, and it's always in demand because of that. But actually, only 0.6% of the population are AB negative. Wow. So that's the rarest. That is really rare. I don't even know about blood type. I know mine. What B is positive. Ooh. Careful now. Somebody commits a murder. They're going to be B positive. They're going to come straight to you because you announced it. Dang, I should have been B negative. (laughs) Don't be negative, Karen. (laughs) Um, Dad joke. (laughs) The blood also contained several genetic markers similar to Craig Pyre. But conclusive DNA testing back then was certainly not what it is today. So just marinate on that. We'll marinate. Kara had been strangled, and the rope that was used left a distinct pattern on her neck. It just so happened that some rope was found in the trunk of Pyre's patrol car. A rookie mistake to keep the same fucking weapon in your car. Okay, and guess fucking what? What? That rope matched the pattern that was found on Kara's neck. Well, of course. That was the fucking murder weapon. So thank you to forensic analyst Norman Sperber because he's the one that figured this out. Nice shout out. Winky dink. I think not. <laughs> <laughs> he was using that rope to build a chain link fence. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tripped over it. Face first. He tripped over the rope into a chain link fence. <laughs> Face first. Right. <laughs> Obviously, I don't know exactly what happened that night. Only Craig Pyre knows. But I think I have a pretty good idea of what transpired that night. I think you're going to tell us. I really am. I think that Craig Pyre pulled her over, and he did the same shit he always does. Did. He always did. He asked her personal questions. He got touchy-feely with her. Maybe he even asked her on a date or made a move on her. Maybe he said he wouldn't write her a ticket if she traded a sexual favor. I wouldn't put it past him. But remember, Kara was a good girl, and she had her head on straight, so she wouldn't have it. So she likely threatened to report him. He knew that only a month ago, a complaint had been filed against him for this exact same shit. Craig Pyre could literally smell his 13-year career going up in smoke. And the only thing standing between him and his career, his life, was Kara. And Craig Pyre just couldn't let that happen, could he? I mean, that's all he knows. 13 years, that's a long fucking time. 
Still not an excuse. Oh no, definitely not an excuse at all. He was arrested and formally charged on January 15th of 1987. He was held without bail, originally. Friends set up a collections fund to help him and his family with legal expenses. Six days after his arrest, Pyre failed a lie detector test. Wow. You're going to wow me when every other time we talk about a lie detector test, you want to tell me how they're not good evidence? They are inconclusive, and... I don't know about 1984. They probably were admissible in court, not admissible in court anymore. But yeah, wow. <laughs> I feel like uh, Owen Wilson. Wow. Okay, so he's a bad liar or really clumsy, and he's also not very smart because why would he agree to a lie detector test? Maybe he was really confident that because he's a police officer, he knows the tricks. Turns out he didn't. Yeah, no. At his arraignment, bail was set at 500000 I believe that later, that same judge is the one who raised bail to a million because so many people were fearful that Pyre was going to get out. And this was a huge, huge case in California. And women were absolutely terrified of the CHP at this point in time. Yeah, couldn't imagine. And this fucking blows my mind. He wasn't actually fired from the California Highway Patrol unit until May of that year. Was he still on duty, you think? So originally, they suspended him without pay. But then later, they turned around and gave him his full salary back, including back pay, until he was fired in May. After he was released on bail and charged with murder. Yes. <laughs> what? Apparently, there was a state law that if a suspended officer isn't fired within the first 15 days, then they get their full pay and benefits. Fucking fire his ass. And that's what blows my mind. Why? Why didn't they? (laughs) My God. And I looked this up and I couldn't find anything recent on that law. So I don't know if that's still currently in effect. But I mean, I fucking hope not. They're just going to start firing everybody. On March 4th, Pyre came up with the bail money and walked out of jail. Was it like 10% of that? So $100,000? Wow. I guess technically I should say that his friends and family who set up his little bullshit collection came up with the 10%. Yeah. I don't think he was raising any money in jail. Now, so this really pisses me off even more. Even though he was receiving his full salary at this point and he had received all of his back pay... And he had the money to make bail. The judge appointed to this decided that it was fair for Pyre to keep his court-appointed lawyer and for his legal fees to be waived. Well, I mean, everybody has the right to public attorney. But I don't think his fees should have been waived. I'm just going to be big mad about it. Big mad. Isn't that a podcast? Uh, yeah, the Big, big mad, mad True pod- Crime. Yeah, that's it. I have a great one on Chris Watts. Yeah, it's like a ton of episodes long. It's six episodes. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome one. Check it out. On February 5th, 1987, something really awful happened to Kara's family. Something else really awful. Yeah. The San Diego Union ran a front page story 
giving all the graphic details of Kara's autopsy. Some of those details her family didn't even know about. Fucking hate the press. And they literally do anything to sell one more paper. Yeah, and they also had no idea that the autopsy was going to be front page news, so that's an awesome thing to wake up to. Right. The following year, in February of 1988, Pyre's trial came to a disappointing-ass conclusion. Please don't tell me. Okay, well, then the podcast ends, (laughs) and it's, like, really (laughs) anticlimactic. Does he fucking get off? So the jury was hung. Jesus. They were split seven to five, leaning toward conviction. But it takes one. Apparently, the explanation about Pyre getting the scratches from the parking lot, along with a potential second sub suspect, the I malfunctioned. All right, Karen. <laughs> along with a potential. Drink some more coffee, Karen. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Just get suspect. Dizzy. Potential second suspect. There we go. I got it out. You said it. They introduced a hitchhiker who was apparently acting weird that night. And apparently that was enough to create reasonable doubt. (laughs) Now take a shot for how many times I said apparently in like those two sentences. No, we'd all be dizzy. Also, I just want to point out that like the fucking coward that he is, Pyre didn't testify. Well, most of them don't. And I just want to point out that he was a fucking coward. Oh, huge coward. Typically, if you're a suspect, you don't testify in a murder case, though. But that is also, as that is only typical in the U.S., so I don't know if you know that. Like most other countries, if you don't testify, it's like presumed that you're guilty. In the U.S., it's the complete opposite. They tell you, do not fucking testify because you might say something stupid. I wonder if that's why I have like this preconceived notion that if people don't testify, they're guilty. Yeah, like I don't want to say every other country, but like most countries, if you don't testify and you're on trial, it's like, no, nah, you're fucking done. Like that's you did interesting. it. But in the US, where everything can be twisted and turned, they're like, uh, don't fucking say a word because you're stupid and the other lawyer will eat you alive. I mean, that makes sense. Both of them make sense, honestly. Yeah. I could see both of them. Like, lawyers are really smart and great at twisting words. But also, if you didn't do it, why are you scared to answer questions? I mean, yeah. I can see both points. (laughs) Thank you for agreeing. (laughs) Like, six times. Take a shot for every time Karen agreed. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) And then take a nap and then come listen to the rest of the podcast. Because I promise you won't remember if you did both of those. (laughs) (laughs) don't take any shots yeah especially if you're driving (laughs) please (laughs) i didn't even think about the fact that they were responsible we're a responsible podcast drink responsibly i'm going to create a beer called responsibly so that every other beer commercial has to advertise me when they say drink responsibly thank you for clarifying the joke advertise my beer (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Pyre's third wife, Karen, no relation to me, testified in a second trial. We all know Karen's will turn on you in an instant. Apparently this Karen didn't, though. (laughs) Karen stated that on the night of December 27th, 1986, Pyre got home a little after 11 p.m. 
she said that he appeared to be a little tired. When questioned about the scratches on his face, she said that she didn't question how he'd gotten them because they were fresh but not dripping with blood. What? Come the fuck on, Karen. He's just so clumsy. He always comes home with scratches. I just want to shake her. I got tired of asking him every day. I just want to fucking shake her. Karen also contended that Pyre acted totally normal that night, and he didn't exhibit any unusual behavior whatsoever. And again, like the little bitch that he is, Pyre chose not to testify again. This time, the explanation about the scratches coming from Pyre falling over the fence at the CHP parking lot and the introduction of this other suspect Both of those details were ruled inadmissible. The prosecution argued that Pyre maybe didn't set out to kill Kara that night. He pulled her over and did his creepy bullshit, and Kara just wasn't having it. So it got out of hand. He hit her on the head with his flashlight. He then put her on the hood of his car, and then he drove her to the end of the bridge, then pushed her over. Remember, he also strangled her with the rope as well. Yeah, that too. Sorry I left that out. Okay. Fortunately, this time, he was found guilty of first-degree murder. Thank God. I have heard some criticism about Pyre being convicted on purely circumstantial evidence. Not purely circumstantial. There's fibers that match her to him. Same type of rope. Like, that's not circumstantial. So there are some arguments that... Matching fibers as evidence is like junk science. Now, I don't think that, but that seems to be like a big group of people who think that. People also think that we didn't land on the moon and the earth is flat. Yeah, but I think if you look at everything and take into account the stories from all the other women, it all adds up. And I don't think it could have been anyone else. And I also think we landed on the moon. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> but you do think the Earth is flat because you didn't comment on that. No, I think the Earth is a turtle. The Earth is a <laughs> turtle. Where are the turtles? Another office reference. Three in a row now. I am good. I'm actually wearing my Dunder Mifflin shirt right now. <gasps> You're so hot But in that. you can't see me. <laughs> You're so hot in that shirt. <laughs> this was the first ever conviction of murder by a California Highway Patrol officer. I bet that was fucking big news there. Oh, I bet. Richard Huffman, who I believe presided over both of the trials, uh, he essentially complimented the CHP for working thoroughly to restore the reputation and whatnot. But, you know, I love me a sassy judge. Oh, yeah, me too. He was also very quick to point out that the California Highway Patrol certainly shared the blame for Kara Knott's murder. He said that they chose to turn a blind eye to complaints about Pyre's predatory behavior. Yeah, I agree. Uh, With multiple complaints, like at some point you need to hold somebody responsible. I mean, literally a month before her murder, there was the mother that called in to file a complaint. I mean, you can't fire someone over one complaint, but I guarantee you, if you look at it, this was not the first complaint that this guy received about this kind of conduct. Especially if it was happening so often. Well, it apparently was because how many women came forward after they saw him on the news? Right. 
I guarantee if they called the news to report him, they reported him when they, you know, to the, the CHP as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. On August 4th, 1988, Judge Huffman sentenced Craig Pyre to 25 to life, which he is serving at the California Men's Colony in San Luis Obispo. He's still in jail. Yes. Good. That always seems so broad to me. 25 to life. Yeah. Like, why not just say 25 years or life without the possibility? Like, it's just. Well, it's because it is with the possibility of parole. 25 to life means that he serves at least 25. And then after that, he has to go in front of the parole board. And the parole board gets to decide based on, you know, his conduct in jail for that 25 years plus is you know they're going to ask him a lot of questions based on that whether he can be paroled or whether he has to continue his sentence that so, makes sense so he has a chance for parole but obviously he has not hit that because he's still in jail that makes sense it's just 11 o'clock at night and i'm tired yeah i told you more coffee <laughs> also i could be wrong because i'm wrong a lot no <laughs> <laughs> but I think that Richard Allen Davis, the scumbag that murdered Polly Class, served his time at St. Luis Obispo as well. Okay. I have that case on my list to cover, so whenever I do, I guess we'll see how good my memory is. Yeah, I'm not surprised. He's on the list. Everyone's on the list. I'm on the list. You are on the list. Pyre continued to say that he's innocent. And Karen did the whole stand by your man bullshit. She went as far as saying that she felt for Kara's family, but they simply had the wrong man. I bet that's why he hasn't been paroled is because he hasn't admitted guilt yet. I think that's a very good possibility. A lot of cases, like, they won't even consider you for parole unless you show remorse. And you can't show remorse if you're if saying, you're saying you're you didn't do it. Yeah, exactly. Karen visited Pyre daily until 2007, when she finally grew some fucking common sense and divorced him. That's a long fucking time to visit someone daily in jail, though. They had only been married for 18 months. Yeah, now fuck When that. all of this happened. Sorry, fuck that. People say ride or die. No. <laughs> oh, I would have dipped out so hard. Well, good to know. <laughs> yeah, you ever murder someone, I'm gone. Okay, so that's where we draw the line. Yeah. Not till death do us part, till death or a murder. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. Oh, it says till death do us part. It doesn't say whose death. See, there you go. Right. We found the <laughs> loophole. <laughs> it's got really dark. <laughs> I'm not planning on murdering anybody, so you're good. The public safe, from me at least. <laughs> so even though Karen divorced him... She still holds that he's innocent and he's never told a lie in his life. What? Never told a lie in his <laughs> life? She's going that far? Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> She's definitely lying for him. You know, and it's funny because that is 100% the total opposite of how his first two wives describe him. So <laughs> A lying piece of shit. <laughs> in 2004, as part of a wrongful conviction project, Pyre was asked to provide a DNA sample to possibly exonerate him. Because, you know, he's always saying he's innocent. He's like, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, he was like, oh, no, thank you. Really? Yeah. I was just joking. No, no, he literally was like, no, I'm good. Okay, how much more guilty do you need to be? Yeah, so if this guy was fucking innocent, you would think that he'd jump at the opportunity to submit himself to DNA testing. Like, I hate to relate everything back to Stephen Avery, but that's like in Stephen Avery's case, if you've watched the second season, they did the like subliminal mind test. I can't remember what, exactly what it was. And Catherine Zellner was like kind of iffy on whether he was going to take it. And like Stephen Avery's like jumping at the chance to do anything he possibly can. And she was telling him like, if you're guilty, this is going to show that you're fucking guilty. So you need to think long and hard. And he's like, uh, I want to fucking take it. Like if you're innocent, you will do any possible thing because you know, you didn't do it. You know that that's not going to be your DNA. If you know that's your DNA, well, you're not going to give your DNA up. I am 350% convinced that Stephen Avery's innocent. Yeah, no, that's going to be a, a long other episode, so we don't even need to get into that. But I'm sure at some point you're going to get into that. Well, right back to our good friend, Catherine. She's already planning an episode on that, so I can't wait for that to come out. Oh, yeah, that's going to be awesome. Amazing. Check it out. A few bad apples. <laughs> Second shout out. I guess third shout out. <laughs> ah, I wasn't we keeping count. We <laughs> love you, daughter Catherine. Right. Um, so that same year when he was like, no, no, I'm good. My DNA stays with me. He was up for parole. <laughs> That's another reason he didn't get paroled. So they asked him at his parole hearing why he refused to give a DNA sample especially if it could prove his innocence. And, you know, he's so adamant about being innocent. Right. This motherfucker literally didn't have an answer. He was like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, oh, maybe I should have. (laughs) That would have been the smart thing. So he was denied parole. Shocking. That's the only silver lining in this case. And I hope that asshole rots in prison. Uh, He will. (laughs) I know he's guilty. Like, I don't. I know. He knows he's guilty. He knows that he stole a beautiful girl from her family. He knows if he gives up a DNA sample, he can't go around going, boo-hoo, I'm innocent. Well, also, any other parole board that he goes in front of is going to ask him the same question again, and he's not going to have an answer. Yeah, he's like, oh, I don't know. I'm innocent. (laughs) I tripped over a fence. And my DNA got mixed up with another person's DNA, so I don't know what DNA is going to come out. <laughs> I'm going to go back to what's comforting to me, so all the middle fingers to you, Craig Pyre. Hey, hey, that's my saying. No, it's mine. I said that first. Go back to the beginning of the episode. Again in 2008, he was up for parole. Obviously, thankfully, he was denied. Shocker. Again in 2012. He was up for parole. Guess what? There. He still wouldn't submit a DNA sample, and he still doesn't have an answer. Jesus Christ. So this time, he was given a 15-year parole denial. Yeah, because there's no point in bringing him back if he's not going to submit DNA. Yeah, they said that it was due to the complete and total lack of remorse, and because he continues to deny the DNA sample. Oh, yeah. He will die in jail where he belongs. Fuck Yes. He, de- he deserves to be under the jail. <laughs> yes. Craig Pyre is going to be up for parole again in only six years. Only six years? I mean, six years goes by pretty quickly. Really? It does. 
I mean, it does for me. You're just old now. I am old. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I mean, it's just infuriating to me, though. Not that you love me, but the hearing. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> About to have to have a change of heart over here. No, I just, I hate all these damn hearings. I don't hate it for him. I hate it for Kara's family. Yeah, I feel like if I were, you know, if I were the victim's family, no matter what, no matter how long it's been, I would have to go to any hearing about my daughter. Well, and I feel like you never actually get to rest. You never have peace because you know that this person is up for parole and they can get out. Is actively trying to get out, yeah. And I just, I feel like that's bullshit for these families. And like, what if you skip it and then this is the one that he's approved for parole, you know? Exactly. Awful. Kara's father is absolutely amazing. He became an advocate for law enforcement victims. And he campaigned nonstop for police agencies to monitor the locations and all activities of their officers 24-7. Nice. He also fought the standard 48-hour waiting period to be able to issue a missing persons report. Yeah, I don't agree with that. Yeah, I know. I mean, we know how precious time is in abductions. Well, they literally have a show called The First 48. Right. So think of how many people have died in those 48 hours that could have been potentially saved. Or think of how many people died in the very beginning and how much evidence and shit was was destroyed was you know missed because of that time period sam also worked to change policy so that police investigators and anyone involved would keep more contact with family members in cases like this so that they're not blindsided by the media like they were with that autopsy news story right gotta be infuriating he also helped to pass a law so that judges have to consider the safety of others when setting bail. It blows my mind that that wasn't already a thing. Well, I'm sure they were, but now it's good that, you know, laws requiring them to do so. But I'm sure any decent judge was already doing that. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I'm just... Just yeah. Yeah, just yeah. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I know I briefly mentioned Polly Class earlier. Sam actually reached out and worked with Mark Class, which is Polly's father, when she was kidnapped. Wow. And I mean, just think, like, if your child is missing or if your child is murdered, no one understands what that feels like and what the fuck you're going through. Unless you've gone through it. Exactly. Okay, this next part both warms my heart, but then it destroys me all at once, too. Interesting. Sam created a memorial for Kara underneath the bridge where she was found. He planted oak trees and a ton of beautiful flowers, and he would go there often to care for all of the plants and just to be with Kara. In 1995, they actually renamed the bridge, and it became known as the Kara Knot Memorial Bridge. Nice. Okay, so take a deep breath, because here's the part that destroys me, okay? Oh. On December 2nd, 2000, Sam was at Kara's memorial garden. He was just tending the plants and talking to Kara like he often did, and he suffered a fatal heart attack. He fucking died there, too. Yeah, he was found literally just feet away from where Kara's body was found 
back in 1986. I wonder if the stress of just being there is what caused it. I read a ton of accounts that, you know, after this happened, he just never went back to being the same person. Well, nobody would. And his life literally became, you know. Mourning his daughter. Yeah. I mean, nobody, no sane person could ever go back to being who they were before that. You know, I think it's so poetic. And I, yeah, I hate to say that, but I think it's so poetic that he died in the same place as Kara. Yeah. And, you know, that was his baby. It's like he died with her. In a sense, yeah. About 15 years ago, Joyce, Kara's mother, finally decided to redo Kara's room. She'd kept it exactly as she left it for years. When the wallpaper was pulled off, underneath, she found hand-drawn little flowers and a message that read, My name is Kara Evelyn Knott. I am 14 years old. That's cool. I feel like I could never... Like sell that house? Yeah, and I couldn't redo the room. I'd be like, no, no, okay, it's staying like this Well, now. you can cut that piece of the wall out and save it and frame it. That's what I would have done. Like I'd carry that around everywhere. Put in a locket. Yeah. Um, back in August of last year, Kara's sister, Cheryl, posted a Facebook message that read, Dear friends, my family received terrible news that there is a real possibility that my sis, Kara Evelyn Knott's murderer, might be released early from prison any day now. This monster should never be freed. So apparently, Pyre is considered to be high medical risk for the whole COVID-19 complication stuff. Okay. And also, they don't consider him a high-risk sex offender. Because there was no sound of sexual misconduct? Yeah, so I'm just going to say it. California Department of Corrections, you're fucking wrong. He was pulling all of these women over and doing all of these creepy things. So maybe he wasn't going to become a serial killer, but you cannot convince me that he was not going to become a serial rapist. Yeah, he was on his way. Yes. And I think if this guy were to be released, he's going to go out and he's going to rape someone. Was he released? No. Uh, I guess you already answered that. He's, you already told us he's still in jail. Yeah, he's still in jail. So news channel CBS 8 reached out to the Department of Corrections and they issued a statement saying that there was no plans to parole him out any earlier. Good. I think that they said that just to save face. Yeah, I'm sure that a lot of uproar came from that. Cheryl immediately wrote a letter to Governor Gavin Newsom as well, urging him to make sure that Pyre isn't paroled any earlier than 2027. And she urged everyone to do the same thing. Fuck that. He needs to stay in for the rest of his life. Yeah, I think he needs to stay in there until he submits a DNA sample and it comes back that he was innocent. But you know what? That's never going to happen because he fucking did it. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> bad chance of that ever happening. Tonight, I want to leave you guys with a quote from Sam Knott. He said, everybody can name five monsters, but they can't name five victims. That's what it's about. And that is, you know, definitely what it's about. It's not about it's not about entertainment. It's not about spreading stories about these awful killers. It's about remembering the victims. And we understand we're in a, you know, providing entertainment with this. Like we're not delusional about that, but we also need to do it in a way that's respectful to not only the family, but also in memory of the victims themselves. Couldn't have said it better myself. You didn't say it, Sam not said it. 
Sam not couldn't have said it better himself. <laughs> Hell of a case, though, Biggs. Yeah. See, like I said, bonkers. That was bonkers. <laughs> I told you. Dude, the, the craziest bonkers. The, the most bonkerous part of the whole case was that they actually picked that fucking guy. Out of all of the CHP officers, I mean, that's I'll the one they sent. I wonder how many CHP officers. Like, California's a big fucking state. Like, how many CHP officers are there? And I'm sure they picked him because he was in that area. But how many people in just that district were there that he got fucking picked? Is it, That's just insane. And y'all, go look up that little news story because you can see the scratches on his face. Can we post like a link to it later? Yeah, we can do that. I think that's a good idea. We're going to post a link to the video, so please check it out. Also, you guys are getting super lucky this week. We are? They are. We are actually going to release another episode this weekend, so you get two of them. Not a double episode. It's two separate episodes. Yeah, it's a completely different case. Never done that before. In our entire five months of being a podcast. It hasn't even been five months. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's been like a little over. It's just now started four. Wow. Yeah. It's like forever ago. No, um, it'll be four on the 13th. So not even four yet. Yeah, three and a half months. Yep. Either way. So two episodes, two completely separate cases. Enjoy. And that's all I've got for you tonight. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Oh my God. Didn't you say that on a previous episode? Didn't I say that on Florida Man? You did say that on Florida Man. You're yeah. trying to be Walter Crockite. Yep. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> you never be as good as a newscaster as I am. All right, guys. You can find us on Facebook. Rhyme and Compulsion. You can find us on Instagram. Rhyme and Compulsion Podcast. You can find us on Twitter. Rhyme Compulsion. We have an awesome website. RhymeandCompulsion.com. You can also email us. Podcast at crimeandcompulsion.com. Man, that's a lot of crimeandcompulsion.com. Or a lot of crimeandcompulsion. Listen, and if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and, you know, I don't know. Subscribe. Yeah, that's that's what you do with that (laughs) button. You hit that button and then it'll notify you when we put out. Like confetti pops out of nowhere every time we put out an episode. That's false advertising. It is. Red Bull got sued over not giving people wings. We're literally about to get sued over nobody giving <laughs> no fucking confetti. Okay, guys, I lied. Rainbows there is- will shoot out of your ass <laughs> as soon as you hit that subscribe button. <laughs> do it. Or actually, I don't know. I might not do it. <laughs> I'd be a little worried there. If that happens, please go to the hospital. Because <laughs> we are lying. <laughs> But what will happen is you will get (laughs) notified. Falling apart at the end. You will get notified when we put out a new episode and you get to hear us talk about butts all the time. (laughs) And me make office references and all the time for no reason. (laughs) But then you also hear us talk about true crime, which is why you're really here. But yes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all of them. And please rate us. Tell us what you think. Send us an email if you have any case suggestions. We love receiving that and we love talking to you guys. All right, guys. See ya.
Thanks for listening. And remember, you never know what's lurking in the shadows, lingering around the corner, walking past your house at night. So watch out, stay safe, and keep listening. This has been The Jury Room. <laughs>